Trojan fans, it's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Hello, Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC football recruiting. We got Gerard Martinez, follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. He's our special, special guy. He's a super analyst covering college football, covering college football recruiting for USC here in Los Angeles and across the nation. Gerard does a great job. He knows more about USC recruiting than anybody. So we got him on the show again two weeks in a row doing a recruiting podcast. So kind of cool for that. If you want to email us, if you want to get, send us a voicemail, you can just go to peristylepodcast.com. we got all our information up there. The podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've had so many questions this week. If you guys missed it, we did Harvey Hyde on Sunday. We had Dan Weber on Monday. I did a solo podcast yesterday where I went an hour and 15 minutes straight. All of your questions. I think 10 different voicemails I played. We don't really have a lot of recruiting questions today. So we're just going to have Gerard and I talk about what is going on. Obviously, USC is one in three now. How does that impact recruiting? We kind of talked about some last week. The dynamic changes a little bit this week and it'll continue to change as the season goes on. So let's talk about that dynamic with Gerard Martinez. What is up, Gerard? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm just adding special, special guy to my resume. <laughs> you are a special guy, man. I mean, Gerard and I have had a relationship for you know over a decade, worked together really well. He's a unique man, very special. He's very special to me, to me and my wife. <laughs> we, are, we are friends and colleagues. And uh, yeah, Gerard, man, you're special to us. The superlatives just keep coming. Uh, but you know what? Special is the time of USC football and USC football recruiting. Maybe not in a positive way for some USC fans, but still special. It's been uh, six years, six special years for USC football. A lot of interesting things happening. It's certainly a beat that um, it just never surprises you. There's always a lot of weird twists and turns. Uh, we got... Very, uh, very spoiled with Pete Carroll in terms of, um, you know, knowing sort of what to expect from the program. And you know what? Even in Pete's years, there was things that happened and there was a lot of big stories uh, on and off the field that came across. And certainly on the field, uh, the product that Pete Carroll had was was very consistent in terms of winning. So that much, you know, you sort of kind of got used to. Uh, but off the field, there was always some weird things that went on and some some big stories that we had to cover. So the USC beat is very unique and special. So maybe I'm just... Uh, I'm just taking on that uh, attribute. Yeah, I think you are. It is very special. And I think over the last six years, all the turmoil, all of the drop everything sort of stories that we have to cover because Josh Shaw did this or Sark did that or you know sanctions from this or whatever. There's always been these crazy kind of stories going on. But consistently, USC has been bringing in really good recruiting classes now the number one class when usc was preseason number one with lane kiffin fell apart um and then you know some of the smaller classes even the 15 person classes they were still ranked pretty high and um but this year could be a little different gerard it, even going in before the season there was a lot more 
you know, three-star guys than USC fans are used to seeing. I think some of the USC fans are a little worried because the class was filling up with three-star guys early. Now the team's losing. How is that going to change? I mean, I hope. I think they were hoping that they would fill in some of those three-star guys, replace them with four-star guys. I don't know if you'll be able to do that with the team kind of going the direction they are right now. Well, you know, it's it's a kind of a, a double-edged sword. You know, you have a bunch of four-star, five-star guys committed early in the season, and you see what happened in 2012. It, it becomes very hard to hold on to those guys. So while USC fans maybe in the offseason were a bit concerned because you had some lower-rated guys, some guys that were off the radar, didn't have a ton of major offers, now you look at it and say, well, you know what, they've got guys that are still, you know, happy with USC and not necessarily there's a lot of competition for them. Um, that can change. Uh, we just spoke to C.J. Miller, the safety out of Powder Springs, Georgia, who's actually rated a two-star by scout. And mm. I don't think USC's ever had a skill player, at least me doing this job, I have never seen a guy that's been committed that's been less than a three-star uh, for USC. So an actual two-star player is a bit of a unicorn in not a good way for USC, but a guy that we always look at these underrated players or these players that are two stars and three stars and look at them and say, are they underrated? And CJ Miller might be one of those guys. He's a guy that uh, against Grayson high school, which is one of the better high school football programs in America. Uh, the best high school football program in Georgia. Uh, they have D'Angelo Gibbs, Jameis Williams, um, a ton of good players. T.J. Miller played really well against them, had 11 tackles, eight assists, had a pick six. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, over the offseason went to a bunch of satellite camps. USC saw him at two different satellite camps. He ran in the 4-4 range. I think he ran a 4-4-7 or 4-4-8 at the Rising Stars camp after he was committed. Athletically, he's one of the top players uh, on USC's board, and he's a guy that didn't start a lot for uh, McCarran High School. Um, that's really, I think, where his raking comes from right now. He's a guy that didn't start as a junior on varsity football. And so now you have him playing full-time. He's playing safety for McCarran, and he's actually starting to produce. I think it's one of those things where obviously everybody's going to look back at the rankings. They're going to you know, reevaluate his ranking. Uh, but some of the schools down there in the south are also starting to reevaluate uh, where he is on the board. You know, Auburn is looking at him. They offered him a scholarship right after USC did. He had a South Carolina offer already when USC came in. And those two schools are looking and maybe bring him in on an official visit. Uh, so we're going to see sort of how that all plays out. But that's an example of a guy that, you know, doesn't have a high ranking, uh, but maybe a guy that the staff found and is a good player. And I, I think while you can criticize the overall stars and, and are they going out of state after guys that they could get locally, there's certainly a, a good argument to be made that, you know, you're going out to Florida and you're getting a three-star guy that really locally you could have just gotten. And really the biggest issue is when you start to lose – you don't have that worry of that guy that's out of state starts to get those schools that are closer to him in his year, and then it sways him. Um, you know, as I said in the beginning, the, the real probably the, the relief there for USC fans right here now is that some of those three stars don't have those major offers that are close to home, and so you don't have to worry about those guys, those those schools, and those coaches at those schools being in those kids' ears and talking about how bad USC is playing and trying to get them to sway their commitment. But that could change at any time. I mean, you look at a guy like David Lichtenstein, Jacob Lichtenstein, 6'5", 250-pound defensive end from Cypress Bay High School in Western Florida. He's a guy that 
had a, a, quite a few offers in May, and this was sort of the uh, epitome of, you know, the offers don't really mean anything. He had an offer sheet that was 20-plus, almost 30 scholarship offers. But then at the end of the day, his choices really came down to Pitt, Virginia, Cal, and to kind of really no extent Alabama. Alabama was thrown on there, but I never got the sense that Alabama was seriously really recruiting at the point he was going to make his decision. Yeah, they offered him a scholarship, but scholarship offers are just – you know, they're just thrown out there nowadays to get kids excited about those schools. Um, so that's a kid that didn't have a bunch of uh, major schools really contending for him when he was making this decision uh, in, I think it was August, uh, when he committed. And USC ends up getting that commitment from him. So they've got a guy that's, you know, out there, Western Florida. He could have a big year this year. And there's been people that have watched him, seen him play in person. They are totally convinced that. You know what? At the end of the year, he's going to have those big offers from Miami or Florida or those schools that are closer to home. And then if USC doesn't have a good season, then it becomes a little bit of an issue. Whereas if you would have that kid, you know, closer to home and he's a kid that goes uh, to a local high school, uh, it might be a little easier to convince him that, you know, the season is, is just a blip on the radar and that inconsistency is, is just, you know, Clay Helton's first go around his first season. Things are going to get better. It's a little easier to keep communication with the kid, keep him around the program, have him come to practices and games, and just you know stay in his ear. So there's that argument to be made that you know what, the out-of-state recruiting is really where there's been some emphasis. And, and while some of these guys are, are two stars and three stars now, it's only going to take a good season. You know, it's only going to take a few good games where all of a sudden their tape goes out and these local schools that are out there decide, you know what, we're going to start to recruit these these kids harder so it is a a sort of a unique situation they don't have the star power that they had in 2012 but they do have some of those out-of-state commitments and those can change really quickly well gerard we kind of talked last week about uh you know the the slow start and how it impacts recruiting i don't think a whole lot's changed in in a week but you know i i think it's an important topic people tweet me about it they'll ask on the message boards that's something that USC fans tend to worry about a lot. And uh, it's funny, like, the, you know, I think the most important thing when you're talking about a football program is, is you know, hiring the head coach and getting the right head coach in there. And it's funny when USC fans are like, well, what, how's that going to impact recruiting? Or how's this going to impact recruiting? Um, and you know, they want to know, like, is this really going to have, you know, negative effects, not just for this class, but longer term, uh, you know, if – USC finishes below 500 this season, which obviously they are right now. Certainly, we are getting farther and farther away from the Reggie Bush years. And there's still kids to this day that, you know, were five years old or four years old when Reggie Bush was running for touchdowns for USC. And they still mention watching Reggie Bush. Or my uncle, you know, watched USC and was a big USC fan because they loved Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush. So, so now we are really getting sort of a generation away from those teams. And so that being sort of a reason why kids like USC or watch USC is diminishing. So certainly that in itself is going to impact recruiting. You're not going to have those kind of built-in, grew-up a Trojan fan because they watched those winning teams and they wanted to be a part of that legacy, those dynasty-type teams. USC hasn't had those type of of seasons and so long that, yeah, that's that in and itself, just the lack of winning and the lack of big time players that are sort of the iconic type players that Pete Carroll had at USC, the Ray Malalugas, 
the the Reggie Bushes, the Leonard's, the even Lindell Whites, and and you know Brian Cushing's, and even Joe McKnight. Sometimes you you hear that come out, you know, now and again. Uh, those type of teams, the farther away you get from those teams, the farther away you get from having that sort of built-in fan base. And so, yeah, it impacts recruiting. It's hard to say from a predictive standpoint to sit here and and, and make this grand prediction as to. Yeah, if they lose such and such games, they're going to lose such and such recruits. That's impossible to do. I know that just talking to this class right now, there's a lot of kids that that are still kind of, um, uh, for lack of a better phrase, they're making excuses for USC. And that's a good thing for USC. I mean, that means that those kids are are all in and they they feel like there's, there's some redeeming value in the season. They feel like the coaching staff is good enough to figure it out at some point. Um, they're very defensive about the season that USC is having and are not, you know, wanting to really criticize what's going on. Now they have their opinions on why USC can be better, but a lot of the guys that I've talked to across the board have all said, you know, it's just little things. They're making mental mistakes. I'll give you an example of a guy that I just talked to the other night, uh, Terrence Lang, 6'7", 280-pound defensive end from Maranatha High School in Pasadena, one of the most intriguing defensive line prospects on the board, uh, a really true hybrid jumbo athlete, a guy that at that size plays um, tight end and plays defensive end. He actually hurt his ankle, went to go see him, and he was injured. Uh, he said he was going to play, and then he ended up not playing against Arcadia High School. And I asked him, I go, well, how did you get injured? He got injured playing fullback. So he's playing fullback, 6'7", 280, and, and, and ended up tweaking his ankle and, and having an ankle sprain. That's a guy that's sort of an, a very interesting athlete, sort of Noah Henderson, uh, or excuse me, Noah Jefferson from Henderson. Let me screw that up. Noah Jefferson type that is a guy that's, you know, just athletically can do a lot of things and has a lot of potential once he focuses on one position and plays that defensive line position. This is a guy that's uncommitted. He's got offers from UCLA, Oregon, all basically the, the, the big 12 schools or the big Pac-12 schools. And is also looking, <coughs> excuse me, and is also looking uh, and maybe taking uh, a visit to maybe one of the Big 12 schools. Um, you know, he kind of talks about some other schools uh, like Oklahoma and things like that. They've been contacting him, but he doesn't have offers from those schools yet. Uh, so right now, Colorado and Oregon are the two schools that he's thinking about taking an official visit to. And, and I think with those schools, they're recruiting really hard. Oregon sees him as being sort of a prototype defensive lineman they like, a guy like Eric Armstead, that big, tall, uh, rangy-type basketball player, and Terrence Lang really – cut his teeth sports-wise on basketball. There's a kid that still talks about USC, and he went to the Alabama-USC game in addition to all this. And the other night just told me, he said, I think it's just USC beating themselves. I went to the Alabama game. I saw USC play again at Alabama. They played really well in the first half. It was a close game in the first half, and they made some key mental errors and shot themselves in the foot, and that's why they lost the game. 52-6, to and it was just some mental errors. You know, that, that's a kid that really wants to see USC win. He, sounds he like really he's on likes the Paris USC. Yeah. He obviously really wants to go to USC. Yeah, yeah he sounds like he's on the Paris style, Gerard. <laughs> he would be uh, categorized as a sunshine pumper on he the would. Paris style. Yes. <laughs> and so that's a good thing for USC. I mean, in terms of recruiting, that's a great thing that you still have these kids that are being recruited, uh, you know, regionally, certainly very hard, and maybe even from the point of nationally, that you know, they still – feel like USC 
it, it can get it right. You know, they can figure it out. They're still, they like Clay Helton. Um, it's a coaching staff that really does recruit well at certain positions. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of criticism sort of of, you know, how they've recruited the defensive back position and sort of other positions on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but, you know, with the support staff working their ass off, and this is the support staff, which I always try to bring up because I think it's really, it's something that the average fan probably just doesn't, appreciate and understand sort of how support staffs work nowadays at colleges and how important they are. Look at Alabama is paying 300 million or excuse me, 300 million, $3 million for their support staff. That's their, that's their budget just for their support staff. It's over $3 million now. Clemson, I think is 2.7 or $2.8 million. We're not talking about the regular coaching staff. We're not talking about the full time nine assistant coaches offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, we're talking, or, or even counting the head coach, we're talking about just support staff members. So it's become a very, very vital thing, especially in recruiting for college football. And USC basically used their support staff as, as a crutch when they fired Steve Sarkeesian and Clay Helton decided to fire the entire defensive staff outside of Peter Sherman. <laughs> it was really the support staff that got guys like Rashawn Carey to a campus for an official visit. And you're just, you're getting the number one player in the nation to campus on an official visit. And you don't have a full-time defensive line coach named. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's exceptional. And so USC's got these guys like Gavin Morris and like Alex Rios, um, you know, Scott Thompson, they've got like a whole support staff of guys that trust me, they're not, they don't have a budget of $3 million, but they're still able to get themselves official visits and give USC an opportunity to in, you know, a time of very, a lot of instability and a lot of uncertainty, get the head coach in front of these players um, to where they have a chance. So if USC can get some momentum and they can win, it could be an outstanding class. But obviously we're not seeing that on the field, and it's one of those things that, yeah, it's going to impact recruiting. Eventually there's going to be uh, diminishing returns, and Reggie Bush is going to become a ghost, and you're going to need to look at something else to be able to bring those kids in. I would say one last thought on that too. What the staff has done a good job of, and this again goes to talking to Terrence and talking to some of the other recruits, um, when you're talking about USC losing and, and how it impacts their perspective on USC, the staff is, is twisting it well and, and, and sort of flipping it and spinning it towards, hey, that's just more signs that you can come in and play right away. Uh, if, if we had a great defensive line, we would be playing well in the defensive line and we wouldn't allowed Utah to run the ball on us the way they did. So obviously we don't have depth. We played a 2-4-5 the whole game against Utah, which I still haven't heard the answer to that on some of those fourth and third and shorts. But they're only playing two guys. Maybe it's because, you know, uh, Noah Jefferson is, is gone now and, and has been hurt, and now he has the academic issues. Uh, obviously, Malik Dorton had been banged up, but they really only played those two down defensive linemen the whole game. guy like Terrence Lang sees that. KHO DZ calls him and says, man, we don't have depth. Look it, we're losing these games, and we're playing two defensive linemen. You can come in and play right away. And kids want to hear that. They definitely want to go and play right away. That's a big factor for a lot of kids. So the coaching staff is smart, and they're sort of spinning this 
and getting these kids uh, pumped up to be able to come in and make a make an impact early. Guys like you know C.J. Miller, um, Elijah Vera Tucker, who's maybe he could be right there with Stephen Carr, the best uh, recruit that USC has right now. I mean, he's seeing the defense or the offensive line. He's seeing you know Zach Banner and Chad, uh, Chad Wheeler are both going to be gone. They're not playing that well, anyways. The other guys that have we're supposed to step in. One of them is now transferred to E.J. Price. He's looking at it and saying, you know what, USC's losing, but shoot, I'm going to be able to play right away. And USC still has that tradition and that, that reputation of putting players in the NFL, and that is another huge factor. That, that might be the biggest overriding factor in recruiting these days with top athletes, and you want to talk about four-star and five-star guys. They all want to get to the NFL yeah. flat out. I mean, that is the biggest thing for them. And so if you can continue to sell that, and, and obviously winning does sort of help the exposure of your players and, you know, college scouts and everybody starts to look at those those kids a little harder because they're going, wow, they're winning, so they must be playing well. You're making plays. Um, but if you're able to put guys in the NFL nonetheless, that is going to get kids re- interested in your school. Yeah, and it's funny that um, even when, like, when we talk about coaching, like if, if USC makes a coaching change, um and some fans are like oh there's been so much turmoil it's like that's not necessarily a bad thing like a coach looks at that and like oh that's like a penthouse suite that needs new paint you know like i can go in there and, and fix it up and it's going to be awesome same sort of thing with the recruiting aspect just because the team is losing sometimes a recruit looks at that and goes that's great i can come in and they need me they need my help right away if you're going to you know alabama you've been number one in the country for the last three years uh and you're a top recruiter, like, well, it's probably going to take me a while to get on the field, you know? Um, so if you're still recruiting at that high level, being you know, a team that's struggling, certain, not everybody, but certain recruits look at that as a, as a huge opportunity. USC has seen both sides of that coin, too, because obviously with Pete Carroll and those teams that were stacked, I remember the coaching staff complaining to me about these, you know, there's not enough kids that want to compete. These kids are soft everybody's complaining. They want to go to UCLA. They want to go to Arizona because we're winning games and we don't have enough playing time. And it was this constant struggle to convince kids, look at, you can come in and you can play here. We were letting everybody compete. We don't have a depth chart, yada, yada, yada. But it was a bit of a battle with, with trying to convince some of these kids, you know, you got guys like Deshaun Jackson that, you know, go to Cal uh, or, or other players that just decide, you know what, I'm going to go to another place that I know I can play right away and I can be the guy and uh, and I'm going to get all that exposure because I'll be the best player on the team. And whether my team is good or not doesn't matter. I want the exposure. I want to get out there. And, and, and certainly you can argue that doesn't make for a good team either or a good teammate. And if you're recruiting those type of players, how does that fit in the locker room? You know, how does that sort of – even out when you're trying to, you know, build a philosophy and have everybody on the same page, uh, you got to deal with those egos. And that was another thing that Pete Carroll had to deal with. You know, you recruited all those running backs, those two massive running backs, you know, when they had CJ Gable and then Stefan Johnson. And then you had the other group of, um, I think it was an Emmanuel Moody. Was he in that same group? I can't even remember, but you had like two sort of bunches of, of running backs where they recruited now three guys, four guys in those classes and you had to try to keep them all happy. 
You know, everybody wants the ball. Everybody wants to be the guy. And so that was always an issue, you know, with those teams and, and dealing with, you know, trying to convince guys that they could come and they could actually contribute. Um, but now USC's on the other side of the coin of saying, hey, don't go to Alabama. Uh, don't go to this school or that school because you're not going to get that playing time because look at all the players you have. I mean, definitely. I, I know with um, – trying to remember who is the kid that uh, – um, there was a defensive back, uh, was it last year or the year before that actually was going to Alabama that USC was recruiting. And I remember a coach on the coaching staff and I won't name names, but was basically trying to convince him is like, dude, don't go to Alabama. You, you, why would you go to Alabama? You're going to sit on the bench for two years at Alabama. Look at all the talent they got at Alabama. You know, Tony Brown was a five-star guy and a guy that was, you know, trying out for the Olympic trials and he's not even playing at Alabama as a true freshman or even a redshirt freshman. And, you know, just trying to convince, hey, come to USC. You can play right away. We don't have those type of players. We're trying to build uh, the, the program back to that. And so, you know, you could sell that, and, and, and that works sometimes. Certainly USC was smart with Lane Kiffin when they were selling the, you know, the, the less scholarship players. Uh, the more playing time you're going to have, that was the spin there. You know, we we you know we we only have 15 scholarships, and you're one of the lucky 15. And kids would talk about that, like, wow, you know, I mean, they they offered me a scholarship, and they're only offering 15 kids in this class, and that was like a big deal. So, you know, the coaches are smart; they know how to maneuver and pivot, and that's what you sort of have to do. And so, um, we'll see if it works. Certainly, like we said on the last podcast, the the one big issue or one big difference between recruiting this class for USC. Uh, and and the last class, particularly for Clay Helton and his staff, they were selling a new start for a lot of players and recruits when Clay Helton took over. Because even though it really wasn't a completely new staff, it certainly turned out to be sort of a, an older staff. It's turned to be more 2013 than anything. At that point in time, they're saying, look, it's a fresh start. This is a new regime and you can come in and you can make a difference because there's no favorites. You know, you come in and, and we're, we're going to start this all over again and we're going to get back to winning and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And you can only sell that newness. It's easy to sell new to recruits. It's easy to right. sell a fresh start and opportunity. That's, that's what that all means. But now you've got a year under your belt and Clay Houghton has those losses. And the more losses he has, the harder it is to sell his philosophy and you don't have the new start anymore. You don't have a clean slate anymore. It's like, yeah, coach, you were there last year. We, we've seen the product on the field. So you can't just say, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that because you haven't. So right. that's the biggest issue. That will hurt recruiting if you're losing. You can't sell uh, dreams, basically. You can't sell, hey, we're going to be this running football program, and we're going to run all over everybody, and we're going to have a pro-style offense but run out of the shotgun, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And when it's just on paper and it's just this dream, everybody's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Coach, I want to be a part of that. But when you see that you get you know reamed by Alabama and, and Stanford and you're losing to all these teams, then all of a sudden it's like, well, coach, you said that's what you want to do, but that's not what you've done. I watched the game and you're not getting it done and they're going to go somewhere else. So that's going to be the big handicap in a losing season for USC and this particular coaching staff. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I mean, recruiting is a lot about sales. It's just it's salesmanship and you're selling what you're trying to accentuate the positives and uh, gloss over the negatives. <laughs> so there's different positive and negatives. But one of the things, Gerard, that's and we, I think we talked about this in the last podcast, uncertainty um, about 
the staff. And we're seeing even more. One thing that has changed over the last week, you're seeing like the uh, like I was watching Colin Coward's show yesterday and he was talking about Clay Helton like he was already fired. There's national people that, you know, when they're talking about Les Miles and LSU and they're like, well, Tom Herman's like, well, you know, USC could get involved in that if there's a change. I mean, they're openly nationally openly talking about the potential of changing head coaches. And even though we haven't heard from Lin Swan, we don't know what the um, you know, what his thinking on this is right now. I mean, I think recruits go out and see those kind of things, and, and it's talked about on the message boards. Does that impact recruiting, or has that impacted it at all? It, it hasn't yet, and certainly I am, am not in the position to ask loaded speculative questions to recruits. I'd never call a recruit up and say, hey, if Clay Helton is fired, that's, that's, not, that's not the reality of the situation right now. We, we don't ask those questions until if – when Clay Helton is actually fired. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's really putting a kid in a weird position and you're asking him to make sort of hypothetical type of comments and things, and it just really adds fuel to the fire. And it's not fair. It's, it's really not fair. I mean, these coaches, they have families. Coach, trust me, Clay Helton's working his ass off as much as possible to try to make this work. Um, that's the reality of the situation. Whether he gets it done or not is going to be the end up, you know, it's going to be the reality of, of whether he's, I guess, kept on. I mean, we're not going to go down and open up that can of worms as to, you know, whether there's a number of losses that he can sustain and still keep his job or whatever. I mean, we obviously can speculate. We obviously have to acknowledge that the product of the field is going to create uncertainty and criticism. And there's a lot of fans that are just flat out frustrated with the whole situation. I mean, it's, and it's not, again, it's not Clay Helton. It's, it's really the process in which USC has gone about hiring its head coaches the past three times, uh, you know, the past six years. It's going back to Lane Kiffin, and, and we already talked about this last you know, podcast, just the process of going through and finding um, candidates to be able to vet against the guys that you're actually hiring, you know, so the guys that you're going out and interviewing and you're comparing against Steve Sarkeesian or, or Clay Helton. And, and I think the fan base is frustrated with that more than anything. So we're at that point. The fan base is obviously the first to, to, to have sort of those feelings of discontent. It comes up in the message boards. Even when you're winning, there's going to be discontent. You know, there's winning, and then there's winning the way people think you should win. There's always that kind of thing. I've seen that going back to the days of, uh, you know, Butch Davis and Miami, and people were complaining about Butch Davis and the way they were winning games, and it wasn't the way Miami should win. They should be more flashy and this and that. And, and they were building uh, what – you know, really could have been a dynasty if Butch Davis would have stayed at Miami at that point. Um, and so you're always going to have people that complain to that extent, that are be fans, the people that watch the program closely, the people that kind of nitpick at, you know, you know, they're not rushing for enough yards, they're not passing for enough yards. I wish defensively we needed to do this and that, even when you're winning those games. People, people did even back when Pete Carroll and they were winning, you know, three state straight, uh, you know, going on to win street, three straight national championships. But it becomes obviously a bigger thing when the national media gets a hold of it. And like you said, with Colin Cowherd and people just in mainstream media, all of a sudden Rob Fukasaki on Channel 7 is making a comment of, yeah, so, you know, Clay Helton not having a good season, uh, a lot of speculation whether he's going to be able to keep his job. That's all of a sudden where recruits start to hear it more. 
you know, because recruits are really sort of disconnected from the the the, the fandom um, tuned in to every little you know nuance in the minutia of the football program. They they just they're kids, and even though they've got families and they may have somebody within their family that's really kind of paying attention. They just don't – it doesn't impact them like that. They, they're they not emotionally invested the way the fans are, even though this is going to be their lives for the next four years. They just don't get real wrapped up in it like that. But they do listen. They do hear things. And when it gets to that point and it gets that loud where you have just random mainstream-type media people talking about it and saying it in such a way – then they do hear it, and then they start to think about it, and then their friends are talking about it, and that's when it starts to impact you. And, and certainly it will be an issue, um, and, and I've already talked about – you know, on the message boards, we talked a little bit about how does USC play this and how should they play this with the message that they send out. Now, if Clay Helton is the guy and the administration feels like we are we are happy with him, and there is no amount of losses that he can sustain this season that would force us to make a change. They should come out tomorrow, in an hour. They should come out, and Lynn Swan should say, Clay Helton is our guy, and we're sticking with him. He's going to be the coach of our football program going into next season. End of story. Because that in itself would help recruiting a lot, and it would at least set everybody in a in a tone of, Okay, this is this is this is what it is. You know, this is what USC wants going forward, and it would allow the coaches to be able to coach and recruit, knowing that with that stability, and it would help them a lot. And and really, it's unfair if USC has made the determination that they're not going to fire Clay Helton, but decide not to actually say that they're going to stay with him either. That in itself is completely undermining things and purposely sort of wrecking the program in my opinion if if there's a if there's an, a a majority consensus decision within the administration that we're not going to fire clay hell i don't care if we go three and nine win one game whatever the, the, the circumstance is the product in the field does not matter to him, to us we believe that he's going to be our guy long term then they need to go ahead and say that. You don't just sit on your hands and go, well, well maybe later in the season we'll figure it out. But, we're yeah, we're not going to fire him. I mean, it's not going to happen. He's exactly what we want. So we're just going to kind of just let it be. you got to do one or the other. Basically, excuse my French, shit or get off the pot for yeah. USC. So what we assume at this point with there not being that uh, official word and Lin Swan not coming out and saying – he's going to be our guy next year, no matter what, that there is still that open door that perhaps he is terminated. Perhaps he is, there is a number of games that he can lose that all of a sudden they decide, you know what, this is not good enough. We need to make a change. Um, that's the question that is, is certainly, you know, open and we're all just sort of asking it. And now the mainstream media is sort of catching on and they'll ask for it and they'll talk about it. And, and when you have other openings, certainly like LSU firing less miles, it just pushes that conversation even further because you, you, you have sort of a derby, uh, you know, in people's yeah. minds of, okay, who's, you know, it's all the hot Tom Herman derby, you know, and people keep throwing USC's name out there. So um, it's, it's certainly going to be something that does impact it, the out of state guys. The uncertainty is play out going to be there. 
yeah, it's definitely going to impact recruiting. Um, I want to talk about the uh, Scout does this huge feature, uh, the 300 Scout 300 trend meter for 2017. They did an update uh, this week, I think a couple of days ago, and there are four four or five dudes from USC that are trending towards USC. So I, I'll give you one at a time, Gerard, and just give me a few thoughts on each dude. So number 57 in the uh, Scout 300, uh, Jalen Johnson. They have him trending towards USC. I would agree with that. Uh, haven't talked to Jalen in a little bit. Uh, texted with him back and forth and things. Um, haven't gotten him to really say a whole lot on USC in their season. But I think USC is in a good place for him. Certainly Oklahoma is going to be a contender. Um, he's talked about Cal. Uh, there's some other schools there. Uh, but um, I, I think right now USC, he has a great relationship with Ronnie Bradford. He's one of the few guys that has really mentioned Ronnie Bradford by name is, hey, this is a, a coach that I really like. I like that he's a no-nonsense coach and he really keeps it real. And he feels like he can come in and play at USC really early. He felt, interestingly enough, after being at, I think it was one of the spring practices, that he could come in and play right away. Uh, that was kind of interesting that, you know, you had Iman Marshall, you had you know, some of those younger guys that were there. Obviously, Adore Jackson wasn't participating in spring ball for USC, but he saw the defensive backs that they had, and he said, coming away from that, I really had a good feeling about USC because I think I could go in and start from as a freshman. Um, wow. So he may not have been far off. He might have a good uh, <laughs> eye uh, in terms of evaluating teams. He's the four-star cornerback from Fresno, Central High uh, East. Uh, six foot two, big dude, 185 pounds. So, okay, so next we have uh, Greg Rogers, who's the 76th-ranked player in the Scout 300, 6'4", almost 300-pound um, defensive lineman from Las Vegas. For months, it's been UCLA, USC, UCLA, USC. I think Oklahoma had definitely made a good impression with his official visit. I think USC is still hanging on but i think oklahoma and maybe after he takes some more official visits could make this very interesting and i i certainly would not call him a lock by any means um and i don't know that it's just ucla and usc anymore i really think that uh there may be some other schools that get involved in addition to oklahoma and he's a guy usc may end up having to really fight for and you know, with the way things are right now, and we talked about uncertainty, and is the coaching staff going to be there? That's the kind of guy that I could see this impacting. Down at 179, uh, out of state guy from uh, Alito, Texas, uh, six foot six, 335 pounds, Chuck Filaga. Is that how you say his last name? Filiaga. Filiaga. He is actually he's an out of state guy, but uh, I call him the Murrieta Cowboy because he actually. Uh, uh, originally is from uh, Vista Marietta. Actually, he's originally from San Diego, but went to Vista Marietta uh, last season and has been at Vista Marietta and uh, just moved out to Alito, Texas uh, with his mom. And so he's going uh, to Alito now, uh, Army All-American, a guy that really loves USC. USC fan, fan his family grew up uh, rooting for USC. His, his parents are total USC fans. He really likes USC. I feel like USC is definitely still the team to beat. It's going to be interesting, though, uh, after the season, starts to take visits, looks at Oklahoma, Texas is there. Uh, it's kind of a wait and see as to when he starts to take those visits to those schools that are actually now closer to home for him. Uh, they you know, were schools that he really knew nothing about and really never talked 
to. And he's kind of sort of naive when it comes to recruiting that way. He's not one of those guys that really follow college football really closely. Um, It's just his whole family is USC fans. But with his immediate family now in Texas, that could definitely be a a bit of an issue. Another Texan um, is Westlake High School, not Westlake here in SoCal, Westlake in Austin, Texas. Uh, Levi Jones, he's ranked 185th in the Scout 300, six foot two, 210 pound outside linebacker. Yeah, big time player, a guy that in that region is one of the highest ranked linebackers. Really, the question is going to be whether he plays outside linebacker as a Sam or ends up playing inside linebacker as a Will. And um, talking to a few sources, I think USC really sort of likes. What they see from him as an inside guy, he's about 6'2", 6'3", 215 pounds, so he'd definitely have to put on some weight, but he's rangy, he's lanky. Um, he's a guy that was really heavy uh, UCLA, or excuse me, USC lean. Um, UCLA was another school that he really liked. He just likes Southern California, and I think that's still big, and I think that's still going to draw him for an official visit. But really the question is going to be, is that a guy that's going to go all the way out here when there's just not a lot of certainty as to what the heck is going to happen with USC next year. You could ask that about UCLA as well. I mean, there's still a lot of talk like Moore has gone after this season. He's kind of checked out. Um, I definitely, right now everybody's just calling it USC because none of the local schools seem to be standing out for him, but he's not doing a lot of interviews. He's not a guy that, you know, is always kind of talking about what he's looking into school and, and sort of, uh, you know, what, what's important to him. Um, it's really coming from the, the interviews that he did during the spring and over the summer where he, he told us, you know, USC and UCLA were really, really big, big visits for him and his relationship with the, even some of the USC commits. Um, it really kind of sounded like USC was the team to beat. But at this point, again, this is one of those things that, uh, you have a bad season, and all of a sudden people start to question. Um, he's in an area of the country that people say, well, why would you go there? I mean, why don't you just go to UT? Why don't you go to LSU? I mean, that's the other thing is that there's going to be some other openings at some of these other schools, yeah. and the coaches that fill those voids, that could totally change the game as well. You know, yeah. I mean, Tom Herman right now is at Houston, and they're trying to get a couple guys here and there, some four-star guys and stuff. But Houston's still not on the level of recruiting us Texas or Texas A&M. He pops up at LSU or he pops up at Texas. And it could change the game completely for all those kids in Texas. You know, I mean, a guy like uh, Levi Jones could not really have any interest in Texas. All of a sudden, you know, I, I want to commit to Texas the next week. I mean, we really just have to see how it all shakes out. But one last one. Um, he's a top-ranked defensive tackle in California. Four star from Los Angeles Senior High School, Martin. Uh, sorry, Martin Andrus. Martin Andrus is interesting because he seems like more of a Plan B for USC. But again, kind of going back to Greg Rogers and how his recruitment plays out, USC wants to get four or five defensive linemen. I mean, they really want to recruit a deep class of defensive linemen. So you gotta have to sort of get some guys that are not going to be the biggest time players, the guys that are the Army All-Americans, it's really tough to just have like a whole crew of five-star guys. I mean, again, we sort of talked about it's the, the, the Pete Carroll, you know, Alabama factor of when you have a really good team, every kid wants to play, and you can only stack your roster so, so much until some of those kids start to go look at other schools. And so I, I would say a guy like Martin Andrews, we're kind of questioning, you know, how does he fit in with USC? How, how hard is USC recruiting him? They're going to have to need some bodies. 
And certainly when you've got, you know, Jacob Lichtenstein, again, three-star guy, sort of off the radar for now until, you know, he has a big season or something. James Lynch is another guy that was committed to TCU, just doesn't have a lot of big-time offers. Uh, they're, they're guys that you have to have in the class of five defensive linemen. I mean, you, you're just not going to have five four-star guys. It's just not the way USC is right now, certainly. And um, even schools like Alabama would find it difficult to just get five four-star and five-star guys in, in a deep class like that. So that's where Martin Andrews, I think, kind of fills in. I, I think he's sort of a maybe plan B um, but maybe have some potential, and, and USC still looks at him, and certainly if something falls through with Greg Rogers, they're still recruiting Jay Tufeli. Uh There's still some other guys on the board that I think are probably higher, but Martin Andrews is a guy that certainly likes USC, and I can see USC being the school that he ultimately re- commits to, wants to stay close to home. Um, all those things sort of align. It's really, I think, still a matter of how hard is USC going to recruit him down the stretch, and is there somebody else that they feel like they may have a better shot that's higher on their board um let's talk about visitors a little bit gerard we have uh i like these no questions podcasts we can just kind of talk about subjects um not that we love questions too but these are kind of fun we had a lot of good feedback from the one we did with harvey hyde on sunday where we didn't take any questions um, well, it's not what we like. It's what the, what the fans like right. and the listeners like. So they may not like me rambling on about stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, questions do break up the subject matter more and you can be a little more concise. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, you, feedback is always well welcomed. Yeah. And, you know, everyone, you can't please everybody. There are people that are like, no, I want you to take more questions. Other people are like, never take a question again. So it just depends on what. <laughs> but the, so for the next five games are at home. What's the official visitor or, you know, to the lesser extent, unofficial visitor kind of plans for the next month or so? You know, that's a good question because I don't know. I know right now USC has no official visitors coming in for the Arizona State game. Um, and the next couple games, I, I think there's a possibility you might see a couple official visitors uh, still kind of sort of making some calls and seeing who they might, you know, want to bring in and, and, sort of what the plan is long term there was talk earlier in the season like maybe usc would bring in official visitors during the season that has pretty much you know for each coach in the past been uh something they just haven't done much i i think link kiffin did it his first season and i think steve sarkeesian brought in a couple guys was it, was it was it the last season he had he had, there was a there was a couple times where they brought in a couple guys for like an Oregon State game. It was usually the games that USC obviously felt comfortable and confident they were going to win, and so they'd bring in a couple kids here and there. Um, but they really haven't made it a point to bring in multiple visitors every weekend. And this weekend they're not bringing in anybody, so that might be sort of going forward. The coaching staff's like, you know what? It, let's focus on coaching and trying to win some games first and then sort out the recruiting sort of afterwards. Um, there are going to be, as I said last podcast, a lot of big-time guys that are still going to officially visit USC. Um, USC is working on it, and they're, they're communicating with all these kids. L.A. is a destination that everybody wants to go to. Uh, there's one five-star that actually announced that he's going to officially visit USC um, even after the losses and everything that's gone on, and that's D'Angelo Gibbs. Uh, I talked about Grayson High School and, and actually mentioned his name in that he played against C.J. Miller uh, in, a, in a close win 
Um, they beat uh, McCarron, I think it was like 16-13. And D'Angelo Gibbs, one of the top athletes in the nation, could play receiver, could play defensive back, safety. A lot of people kind of peg him as a safety. He's about 6'1", almost 6'2", uh, about 200-plus pounds, uh, a fantastic athlete and a guy that um, has a connection to USC. His sister actually played basketball at USC. She's graduated now. Uh, but uh, USC is a school that he says, I'm definitely going to visit. So, I mean, USC is going to get in front of some five-star players. Even with a really bad season, they still will get in front of some five-star players. And some of that, again, is the inherent advantage that USC has. It's in Southern California. It's going to be, you know, 85 degrees in December. And you got the, the sunshine, the beaches, the girls, the whole thing. Like, if kids want to come out to Los Angeles and experience that. D'Angelo Gibbs has obviously been out to Los Angeles. I mean, his sister went to the school, so he knows what it's about. But he wants to come and see the school on an official visit uh, basis. And there's a lot of other kids that will do it. But the other thing is that I think the coaches are really working their butts off to continue to try to make that happen. I mean, you, you can have a lot of kids that want to visit and the coaching staff just doesn't follow through and they don't visit. So, you know, you kind of have to have both and they're still doing both. So, you know, there's still an opportunity there, but you know, whether USC has a legitimate shot at the Marvin Wilson's and the, the, the D'Angelo Gibbs of the world, uh, that remains to be seen mainly just because of uh, the product in the field. And, and uh, you know, there being some sort of sign that these players can be developed at USC. And I, I guess that's really sort of what the winning does if you have players that are playing well and they're making big plays consistently, you're probably winning football games. And if you're not, then you're probably not winning football games. So it's just one of those things that it's, it's sort of a very sort of crib notes for recruits who's winning and who's being successful. That's who is probably putting their players in the right position to make plays, thus be able to be drafted. And so that's what we kind of have to look at going forward. And that's what the recruits are going to you know, look at going forward. And certainly if it gets bad enough, I mean, you don't want it to be one of those situations where you got an empty Coliseum or you got fans booing the offense. Um, that's not a good look for recruiting. Although I will say and this will always stand with me, is Manti Teo <laughs> I know this going one. to Notre Dame <laughs> and officially visiting Notre Dame and the Notre Dame fans throwing snowballs at the team. It was snowing, and they're throwing snowballs at the team walking off the field, and he still somehow managed to, to see the, the Notre Dame for a school that he wanted to go to and, and, and overlooked all that stuff and ended up at Notre Dame over USC and, and other schools, which shocked everybody. Um, so, you know, you never know, uh, you know, how things play with kids, but I think the general consensus would be certainly you don't want an empty Coliseum with no atmosphere and no electricity, no energy, and you don't want the fans, you know, booing and chanting, uh, for your coach to be fired. So certainly, you know, um, having some of those official visits after the season, you don't have to worry about that. And that's a big deal. And certainly talked about the weather, you know, they're coming from back East or coming from the Midwest. Uh, it's always nice to, to have a big weekend when you have it in December and it's 80 degrees here. Um, so that's another reason maybe not to have a lot of official visitors uh, during the season when you're not having a great season. Two more topics for you, Gerard. Uh, I updated the scholarship distribution chart. So if you go to uscfootball.com uh, under football, there's a tab up the top under football. Just go to scholarship chart. And it's a great resource. Uh, it shows you uh, how the scholarships are distributed uh, by position uh, and by class. So you can see uh, where USC has players. And, and we also list the 2017 commitments on there. So 15 of those. 
Um, so I, we had talked about this, about like how many rides can USC bring in? So I just wanted to kind of give people an update and then just get your thoughts on it. Um, so you can bring in 25 people per class, 25 players per class. USC actually used uh, two uh, blue shirt candidates. So they brought in uh, Michael Brown, who's a kicker. Um, he's a true freshman. And they also brought in Stevie Tuikolovatu, who it seems to be a, a good use of a blue shirt. He's uh, the starting nose guard right now for USC. So um, so because of those, two blue shirts, those count towards the class of 2017. That means USC can only recruit uh, 23 players for the class of 2017. Now, how many players are coming off the roster? I just did a quick calculation. We have 14 uh, players listed as seniors. So obviously those guys move on. I don't see any any guys that are going to redshirt from that group. Um, so all those guys, yeah, I think they've all played actually. Hutchins, Powell, McQuay, Zach Smith, Daquan Hampton, Darius Rogers, Justin Davis. Yeah, so they've all played. So none of them redshirting. So that whole group of 14 players will move on. There's three players that we still list on the chart because they count. Um, and football is a head count sport. You count for the whole year. Uh, so if you leave in the middle of the year, you still count until the next year starts. Um, so with Don Hill and Osa Messina, their off-field stuff, they've been removed from the roster. Uh, so we've removed them from the team. Um, I assume that I don't think they're going to be back. And we also know EJ Price, the freshman offensive tackle, is transferring, according to Clay Helton. So he's been removed. So that would be 17 total. Um, there's four former walk-ons uh, that received scholarships. One of them is a senior, so he wouldn't count. Um, but th- those three, uh, if they're not given their scholarships back, that would bring you up to 20. And then guys like Juju Smith and Adore, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Adore Jackson, you assume they're going to go. That's two more. That would bring you up to 22 just for like, you can get there fairly easily. Now, there's probably other transfers and other things that are going to happen. But to get to the 23 number, Gerard, it seems like USC will be able to do that and bring in a quote-unquote full class of 23 because of the two blue shirts. Yeah, well, full class is, would be 25. Um, but And they may be able to still even get to that. I mean, we'll see how everything shakes out. There's a lot of disgruntled players and parents um, when moves are made and, and sometimes it's all bark and no bite, but there's been a lot of talk of transfers. And I, I think that just really, I think at some point Clay Helton decided I, I need to sort of put my foot down and assert, uh, some, some discipline and some will in the team. I, I think Clay Helton has really, you know, even early on before he got the job, he did a lot of things to sort of win the players over. And I think he did a lot of things to, to be a player's coach and, and the players really wanted him to be the coach. And, you know, what going over from the bowl preparation period where he only gave him seven practices because, you know, they, they had gone through a lot and, and sources were kind of like, you know, it, it's just really one of those things where these players have, have gone through a lot psychologically. They sort of need a break. Uh, they don't want to work, you know, through that whole period of bowl preparation, et cetera, et cetera. And that was sort of winning favor with the players. But, you could only allow that to a certain extent, you know, at some point you got to be a coach and be a little bit of a hard ass and you got to make some tough decisions and not everybody can start. Not everybody can play. And you got to sort of move forward and, and know that everybody on that team has to be on the same page because you have written the book. Basically there, there is something that you have said that everybody has to adhere to. And if there's some pushback on that, 
then those guys have to go or those guys have to, you know, sort of be broken. And I think sort of maybe Clay Helton is at that point where he was trying to push back and say, no, you know, I, this is my team and I'm the head coach. And yeah, I know that, you know, everything's been hunky dory and we're having ice cream and we're doing all this stuff, but you know, we're not winning games. And if you don't win games, you don't get those type of rewards. And so, you know, now there's sort of a little bit of that kind of going back and forth. And I, I feel like that's probably where a lot of that talk of transfers and all this kind of stuff is, is coming from. And again, you know, sometimes it's more the parents than the players themselves that start putting that stuff out there. And so if, if that comes to fruition and, and there is actually more to it and you see some players that just feel like they need to go somewhere else, they're not playing enough or, or whatever the reason is, then certainly you could see them get to a full class uh, of 25. Well, and, with the blue um, shirts, Gerard, you can't yeah. get to 25. Unless they blue shirt a couple of guys, those blue shirts are already taken. So right now, like if they took away all the walk-ons, uh, you know, all the seniors, and say Juju and Adori leave, that's 22. Um, like you said, there are probably going to be some other defections at some point to get the 23. But, but that's where that, – but that's where – well, yeah, but that's where you have to take – the blue shirts to be able to get because what what ends up happening if you don't have blue shirts for 2018 and you're dipping in that class you're going to end up being pretty short of that 85 all of a sudden because you you, you got walk-ons here that have full-time scholarships that may not have scholar i mean you know it, it depends on how many guys how many walk-ons you want to offer scholarships to you know you're going to be back in that spot where you're below 80 scholarships yeah, because you've got guys that have left and you don't have those guys that you can replace them with because you've given blue shirts out. So it becomes a little bit of a domino effect. And yeah, you have to put those blue shirts into the 2018 class, but they might have to do that because you have Messina and you have some of these guys that are no longer on the roster, which are untimely exits. You know, they're guys that you didn't prepare for. You didn't recruit that 2016 class thinking you were going to lose two outside linebackers. Okay. Um, yeah, that definitely wasn't part of the plan. And there, there's, and there's a lot of time between now and, and next August. So who knows what the roster is going to look like then, but we keep the scholarship distribution chart updated. So check it out. Um, it's a really good resource. So I hope you like it. And then one last thing, Gerard quarterback recruiting. So the, uh, you know, the switch at quarterback, um, you know, it was kind of shocking for everybody. Uh, if you look at the scholarship distribution chart, you have, a redshirt junior, Max Brown, and you have a redshirt freshman, Sam Darnold, and Matt Fink, and that's it. Um, now, you could add uh, redshirt freshman Jalen Green, who's a sophomore. He's a wide receiver. Um, you know, he's gone back and forth a couple of times through his career. But what does this – does this impact uh, USC quarterback recruiting at all? Because certainly Max Brown's already graduated. He's insinuated that, you know, he would – likely leave or he needs to do what's best for him you know which if he doesn't leave if he's not somehow becomes a starter again I don't see any reason why he would stay I think he's given the program so much I don't think you know you don't want to stick around just to be a backup he can go start somewhere else and you know still try to continue his career and, and try to make it to the NFL but how does that impact now that this quarterback change is made how does that impact uh, USC quarterback recruiting uh, they have to take one in 2017 um, you can't have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. And certainly Jalen Green is a potential guy that might be there as a quarterback. But does Jalen Green really want to move at this point? I mean, does he want to play in back of a redshirt freshman who's going to be a redshirt sophomore next year? 
and, and be a guy that is more of a situational type player. I mean, he would have to feel like he could compete on even ground in the offense and felt like the offense was leaning towards maybe a more mobile quarterback. But that's a lot of faith, I think, for Jalen Green. And so I, I would think that, you know, he wants to stay at receiver and keep playing that position. Um, you're going to have to go out in 2017 and find a guy. Uh, whereas, obviously, if Max Brown was the starter, um, he's, you know, a junior going on to be a senior. I mean, people were even talking so lofty as, oh, well, yeah, you know, if he has a great year this year, he's just going to leave the NFL. And it's like, okay, <laughs> so we'll see about that. I mean, shoot, he's got to, you know, have a good year as a starter first before we start talking about leaving early the NFL. And certainly that didn't happen. So he – you know, we assume if he transfers, you've got two quarterbacks on the roster that are scholarship quarterbacks in Matt Fink and Sam Darnold. And certainly Matt Fink is nowhere near, in my opinion, uh, a guy that's ready to come in and step in if, if Sam Darnold goes down. Um, and Matt Fink actually has been a little banged up even. Um, so, you know, right now it's one of those things that, thank God, Max Brown is there just as a backup. So USC's got to go out in 2017. They've got to find a quarterback. Obviously, Tua Tagovailoa, the Honolulu four-star quarterback from St. Louis High School, is still top of the board and, and you know, is committed to Alabama. But Alabama is starting a true freshman at quarterback uh, in Jalen Hurts. A lot of people feel like that's going to be something that, you know, is really going to be – it's, it's going to make it hard for them to sign Tua – um, Tua has said all the right things about that. Like, you know, he likes Alabama and he can come in and he can redshirt and he'll be, you know, two years behind Jalen Hurts. But does he really want to redshirt? You know, does he really want to come in and sit that long? That's going to be a question. Um, you know, USC also was after, um, Jack Sears from San, uh, San Clemente High School, a guy that committed to Duke over USC and UCLA. I feel like with him, just personality-wise, I think he found Duke as a good fit. I just don't know if USC can continue to recruit him that he's going to change his mind down the line. Uh, really have to. It's it's hard. It's a hard projection with him because he doesn't want to do interviews. And he and he basically when he got USC and UCLA offers, and he only had like a handful of offers, he just stopped doing interviews because the media was too much for him. And that to me is a sign of can you really handle Los Angeles? I mean, do you really want to be the quarterback at USC if you have a handful of offers and you're already the media is becoming too much of a distraction for you. Like that's why you go to Duke. That's why, you know, that's, that's out of the way. It's not a big time program where you're going to have a lot of scrutiny. Um, it just sort of seems like a good fit for him personality wise. So I don't know that USC is going to do anything that all of a sudden they're going to be able to, to be able to recruit him. And the fact that you have Sam Darnold, right in front of him, who he actually played in back of when he was at San Clemente High School. So, I mean, he'd be kind of going, doing the same thing as he did in high school to some extent. Um, it, it just sort of seems like Tua's the guy right now, and we just have to see if there's another quarterback that develops that becomes uh, a, a guy that's the top target down the line. Um, there's just nobody that comes to mind. I haven't heard anybody that USC's really recruiting hard. Uh, maybe in another podcast we could start just spitballing and throwing names out there <laughs> of local guys that, that you know could be uh, potential targets for them. Certainly it's, it's California. I mean, for me, I think if you can't find a good a good quarterback in California, then you're not looking hard enough. I mean, there's just too many guys in the NFL, too many guys in college that uh, are, are from the state 
that, that have gone on and done great things that, um, you know, even a lot of guys that got overlooked, you know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers who had to go through the Juco system uh, before he ended up at Cal. There's a lot of good quarterbacks that fall through the cracks in California. And so, I mean, if you do your diligence, you're going to find a good quarterback. He may not be a four-star guy. He may not be the guy that went to all the Nike camps and has a personal trainer that pumps his name and all that kind of stuff. But there's still probably a guy out there. I mean, Colin Kaepernick was a guy that was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread when he graduated from Nevada and ended up with the 49ers and they were in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was like, oh, my God, how did this amazing athlete who can throw the ball and with the arm strength that he has end up slipping through um, every, all the cracks? And he ended up at Nevada. Out of, I think he was like Tulare or something. He went to high school. There's a lot of kids uh, in California that um, can can end up being really, really good players at that position. It's certainly not like defensive tackle or some of these other positions for USC that they have to go out of state. You can sit here in state, and if you just focus and you really start to watch film and you really dig, you're going to find some guys. So um, that's something that you know we can do in the future and kind of you know bring up some names and, and go on uh, a little bit of a tangent as to uh, what players might be really good quarterback uh, potential selection for USC because they're going to need one in 2017 with only two scholarship quarterbacks potentially coming back next year. Man, we went over an hour, no questions, and we still went over an hour, so – this is like a podcasting machine right now. There's just so many of these, but we get we get so much interest. It's good, Gerard. People want to hear us talking about this stuff. Hopefully, 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 we're not just talking about it just to uh, you know it's it's cathartic. <laughs> no, no, we're good. Yeah, we get a lot of downloads. We get a lot of uh, yeah. It's good. It's been great. So, all right, well, Gerard, good stuff. I gotta get uh, get ready and go out to USC football practice. So just uh, rolling from recruiting side to team stuff again. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. That's Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMart Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Thank you so much for coming on, Gerard. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.